If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36. As Jeff said, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series. It's an overview of the biblical narrative uh, from Genesis through Revelation. And we're really looking at God's story. And the big idea of Scripture is not so much that it's God's story, but all the way through 66 books of the Bible, God is actually revealing himself to us. He's telling us who he is. And this is called progressive revelation. And so for each week, for 12 weeks, we are looking at different aspects, not only of the biblical story, the biblical narrative, but a different aspect of who God is, his very character, his very essence. And today, as Jeff said, we're going to look at the Old Testament prophets, all of them, all the Old Testament prophets, and we're going to really look at the warnings that they spoke. So if you've got your Bibles uh, open to 2 Chronicles 36, I'm going to invite you uh, to bow your heads. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, though it is cold outside, it is warm in here. We thank you, God, for the technology which allows us to be able to broadcast uh, around the community for those who don't feel like they can come into a live worship service yet. And God, I'm even grateful because I know there are people tuning in in places like Florida and Texas and Arizona and uh, Mexico, lots of warm places. And so God, thank you. Thank you that your church has assembled today in this moment, in this time, to reflect on the words of the prophets, to reflect on the warnings that you speak to us. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Warnings. When I think about warnings, I'm taken back to when I was a little child. I had an Uncle Oli. And if you had an Uncle Oli, my Uncle Oli was a little bit like Oli and Lena in the Oli and Lena jokes. He was a jokester, he was a prankster, and he always kept me on my toes. And I remember uh, some of my earliest memories, I'll bet you I was four, maybe five years old. And we traveled from southern Minnesota, where our family lived, to Platteville, Wisconsin, to visit my Uncle Oli and my Aunt Dolores. And when we showed up at the door, Uncle Oli asked my brother and I if, as we were traveling along on this road trip, we had seen the mysterious, the ominous, the dangerous Native American warrior, Falling Rock. And we said, we have no idea what you're talking about. And Uncle Oli, in Uncle Oli fashion, started to tell us this story. And it was a little bit of a story kind of like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. It was, it was kind of this legend that nobody had seen this Native American, this American Indian warrior falling rock. But every now and then, he would appear on the scene. And so you needed to be looking out. You needed to be careful. And that was a long time ago. And I remember as Uncle Oli told that story, I got kind of scared. I got kind of nervous. Because I didn't know where Falling Rock was. And, and if this warrior was going to jump out and do something to us, what warriors do. 
And so as we're driving back to southern Minnesota, I'm looking all over out the windows, and pretty soon I see this sign. Uncle Oli was right. Falling Rock had been sighted, and for the next 22 miles, we needed to keep our eyes open. And I remember being so scared for those next 22 miles, looking for this American Indian warrior who was just going to jump out at us and do what warriors do. And I can honestly say, for the rest of my childhood, I knew Uncle Oli was pulling my leg. But there was 1% of me that wasn't quite sure. And whenever I would see this sign, I would just inside get a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous about this warning sign. And even today, whenever I see a sign that says, watch out for falling rocks or fallen rock or, or something to this version, I think of my uncle Oli and the warnings we experience in our lives and how those warnings make us feel. Today we're talking about warnings. And to set the stage just a little bit for you, just kind of by way of review, last week we talked about 270 years uh, of the judges. And I'm going to make it real quick for you. It was a disaster. There was judge after judge after judge. And the judges' role was to lead the people and to guide the people. And these judges, most of them, they were horrible leaders. And so things started to spiral downward for God's people, the Israelites. And so the Israelites came to one of the prophets and said, we want a king. All the other nations around us have a king. And thus began the, the, the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel started out, as we talked about last week, with Saul and David and Solomon. And then this is where we're going to pick up today, and we're going to kind of cover, like I say, these 370 years. Because kind of where we left off last week is that Solomon had just built the temple. And so Solomon built the temple in 957 B.C. That's when the temple was completed. David planned it, Solomon built it. And in the year 586, the temple was destroyed. So we're going to hit 371 years today. That's more than 100 years than last week. We got nothing else to do today, right? Some of you brought in some snacks, some food. We're just going to sit and study the Bible today. We're going to hit 371 years. So when Solomon built the temple... In 957, it was incredible. It was this amazing building like no one had ever seen before. But it wasn't so long later, these 371 years later, that it got smashed. It got torn down. Jerusalem was overrun by the Babylonians. And the guy who was on the throne, the last king, his name was King Zedekiah. And most of you probably don't know who King Zedekiah is. Maybe you've never even heard the name Zedekiah. Because today people don't name their kid Zedekiah. That's just a bad idea. Because Zedekiah was known as the king, the guy who was in charge when the temple fell, when the walls of Jerusalem came down. 
And when the Babylonians overran Jerusalem, when they overran the temple, Zedekiah was on the throne, but very quickly in the middle of the night, he was out the door. He raced out the door in the middle of the night. He scampered over the wall, scampered through the woods. He was hunted down by the Babylonians. And they chased him like a wild animal. And they caught King Zedekiah and his family trying to run away. They threw him in prison. And they said, Zedekiah, here's what we're going to do. You're going to stand there and you're going to watch as we execute every single one of your children. And that's what Zedekiah did. He was forced to sit there and watch the execution of his children. And then after he watched the execution of his kids, they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, so then he was blind. So the last thing Zedekiah ever saw in his life was watching his kids being executed. People who say the Bible is boring have never read the Bible. It's crazy. It's filled with all sorts of really incredible stories. And sometimes stories that are horrifying. That was King Zedekiah. That was his legacy. That and the walls of Jerusalem falling in 586 B.C. Now, to kind of set things up to help you understand, to help us all understand a little bit about the prophets, what you need to know in this, these 371 years, so there's three real main dynamics happening, three main dynamics, and the first dynamic is the kings. And the kings were those guys like uh, Saul and David and Solomon, but after the united kingdom of Israel, the kingdom divided. We talked about that just a little bit last week. And for many generations after that, the kingdom was divided in two. Up in the north was Israel, and in the south was Judah. So two kingdoms. And so year after year, generation after generation, over time, there were 19 kings in the north and 19 kings in the south. And here's what you need to know over those 371 years. Most of them were lousy kings. They were terrible leaders. They were horrible rulers. They made really bad decisions. And worst of all, they were not faithful men. These kings did not serve the nation of Israel very well at all. And so there's all this dynamic going on. And as you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll hear about kings in, in the northern kingdom and kings in the southern kingdom and the battles that were going on over and over and over. And it's just a whole lot more stories like Zedekiah, unfaithfulness, and these kings leading really horribly. The second dynamic that's going on are the priests. And the priests were the guys, they were the professional religious guys. They were a little bit like me. They were paid to show up at the temple and do things uh, for God's people, the Israelites. The, the priests functioned as the spokespeople to God. That's their job, is they would go to God and say, Hey God, this is what the people want. This is what the people need. This is what the people think. They, they just spoke up to God. That's what the priests did. And so if you're reading the Old Testament, you're probably reading a little bit about the garb that the priests wore and really fancy clothes that they wore. And, and they did that because it was so important for them to come before God, the God Almighty, uh, looking good and saying, God, I've got stuff to talk to you about. They were the intermedi intermediaries between the people 
and God. They were that, that person who was in the middle. They were representatives. Now, one of the things uh, that I mentioned a little bit ago about is the temple. And I need to camp out on the temple for just a moment because I think it's really important for all of us to understand what is the temple. Oftentimes, we equate the church with the temple. And what I want to do is scrub your minds of that idea that the church is somehow like the temple. It's not. The church is not the temple. See, when the temple was built, it was a building. It was a structure. It's where people went. It's where you would go to meet God. The church, as Jesus created it, was never meant to be a building. In fact, for the first 300 years of the church, the church was the people gathered. It's us today. This is the church. It's people. It's not a building. Big distinction. When people in Old Testament times thought about the temple, they didn't think about the people. They thought about the building. That was the purpose of uh, David designing and Solomon building the temple. Even before that, of course, they had the tabernacle. It was kind of like a, a portable church, kind of like what we do here oftentimes on Sunday morning. But when they got to Jerusalem, they said, we need a building, a place where we can meet the living God. So they built this temple, this building, this place where they would go to meet God. One of the other things that happened in the temple, of course, is sacrifices. Lots of sacrifices happened in the temple as a way to, what the, the Bible tells us, as a way to make atonement for their sin, to make good with their sin, with all the problems in their lives. And as Jesus' followers, we don't make sacrifices anymore, Right? Because Jesus is the sacrifice. He said, I came to die once and for all. We don't need to do sacrifices anymore. Let's just focus on me. And so that's what we do as Jesus followers. We don't go somewhere to make sacrifices. We look to Jesus as our sacrifice. And the other thing that I just want to point out, key distinction between the temple and the church, is the temple was the place where people met God. I've said this already, I know, but I want to come back to it. That's where you met God. See, as Jesus' followers, we don't think that we're going to meet God exclusively in this place when we gather together on Sundays. Now, I hope you do meet God when you come here on Sunday morning for sure. But I hope you also understand that God doesn't live here. God doesn't live in a church we take God with us, or we go with God. We see God everywhere we go. The temple was identified of this is where God is. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, we look to the living word. Wherever you got your Bible, that's the living word. God is with us. So three really key distinctions. And I know I've uh, kind of uh, blurred the lines a little bit there more, but I want you to really understand Big difference between temple and the church. The temple was everything for these folks. It was the center of religious life. Kings, priests, temple. Now I want to talk about prophets. Prophets. And as we think about prophets, your, your mind might immediately go to the place of like a fortune teller. 
somebody who predicts the future, somebody who's almost like at a, a crystal ball, right, who says, ah, this is going to happen tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and years down the road. And the prophets definitely did tell and speak the future. They spoke about things that were going to happen in the future. But that was not the primary role of the prophets, Maybe in all their teachings, and I'm just kind of making these numbers up because I want you to kind of get an understanding for how this worked. The primary role of the prophets was to speak truth today, in their day. So about, I'm just going to throw this out there. 10% of what they did was speaking into the future what we kind of traditionally think of as prophesying about events that are going to happen in the future. Most of what they did is they talked about what was happening today in the here and now. They were truth tellers. And that's what their job was. They spoke truth to power. Now, there's a whole slew of them, so let's go to the next slide. You maybe know uh, some of the old, uh, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they got books uh, about them in the Old Testament. Then the next ones are called the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those are the minor prophets. And then there's some other prophets uh, that don't have their own book in the Bible. I think they got ripped off. Elijah and Elisha. Because they were some pretty important prophets. And they did some pretty amazing things. So you probably recognize uh, many of these names. Now the interesting thing is how God would use these prophets. So if the priests are speaking to God, the role of the prophets was for God to speak to the people. That's what they did. And they had these different personalities. So I think about Amos. Amos was a farmer. And Amos was just like farmers today. He was a guy, the, kind of the salt of the earth. He was practical. He was plain spoken. Nothing fancy about Amos. He just kind of said it like it was. And he's just like, here's the deal, guys. And everybody like, okay, that's Amos. And then there were other prophets like uh, Isaiah. And Isaiah was a little bit like a college professor. He spoke poetically. He spoke in, in all sorts of metaphors and allegories. And, and you listen and read Isaiah, and you're like, wow, what is he saying? I mean, he was really smart, and he said all these things. And it's just like, this guy is really interesting. He's a whole lot like a college professor. And then there's Daniel. Daniel is the relational prophet, and I, I'm just going to throw it out there. When I think of Daniel, I think of Dan Brady. Any of you ever met Dan Brady in the community? It's like Dan Brady is everywhere. Every time I go to an event, there's Dan Brady. He's just like everybody. He's like, he's like the friendliest guy on the planet, politics aside. Dan Brady is everywhere. How does he do that? And he's like friendly to everybody. That's Daniel. Remember him in the lion's den and, and, and all that stuff? He's just like buddies with everybody. Daniel, the prophet Daniel. And then there's Elijah. I don't know this for a fact, but I think Elijah was bipolar. I do. Because Elijah was one of those guys who just, he was so confident. He was so bold. He would trash talk everybody around him. Remember that day when, when Elijah challenged the, the prophets, the false prophets of the false gods, Baal? They were up in Mount Carmel area, up in uh, what we know today as northern Israel. He's like, hey guys, come on, let's have a battle. And he is trash talking them. 
And there's this battle going on back and forth. And there is nobody on the planet in that moment more confident than Elijah. But then about five minutes later, he's out in the wilderness, in the corner, in the fetal position, sucking his thumb, scared to death of Jezebel. She's going to get me, God. Please take my life. I mean, he's a crybaby. It's like, figure it out. Are you this bold prophet? Are you this pitiful, I don't know what, just lying there? Then there's Jeremiah. And I will say that I probably relate most to Jeremiah of all the prophets. I like Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was insecure. God would come to Jeremiah would say, thus says the Lord, though the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, and Jeremiah's like, I think you got the wrong guy. That's not me. I think you need to use that guy over there. He's way more interesting uh, to speak to people. I don't have the skills. I don't have the talents. And that was just who Jeremiah was. He was just over and over. God, I think you got the wrong guy. Okay, I'll tell him, but I don't know. That's Jeremiah. And the one thing that kind of bound all these prophets together, that kind of made them prophets in many, many ways, is because in their day, as they were speaking God's truth, as they were telling God's uh, truth to the people, they were roundly dismissed. In their day, they would walk into a room and they would say, okay, I got a word from God. And, the, the, and everybody in the room would immediately roll their eyes, Right? Kind of like your kids, right? You, you got something to say to the kids. They roll their eyes. They're starting to do these hand gestures, you know, kind of like this. And it was, they were there. everybody just mocked them because nobody believed them. Nobody wanted to hear the truth. So this went on and on. And the prophets lived their lives as kind of the, the butt of all the jokes. They're crazy. Remember what Jeremiah said? Pfft, we're not doing that. And then hundreds of years later, as these prophecies became true and things got really bad for the Israelites, they're like, what did Jeremiah say? What did Daniel say? What did Ezekiel say? They were right. We were wrong. No wonder things are so bad for us. Oh, should have listened to them. That's the story of the prophets. There it is in a nutshell. I don't even have to go through all the stories. And this is how it went, on and on and on. Year after year after year. Kings come and kings went. Priests came and priests went. Prophets came and prophets went. And the nation of Israel continued to spiral downhill because of their disobedience. They didn't listen to the prophets and the warnings of the prophets. And so in 586 B.C., everything came crashing to the ground. Jerusalem was overrun and the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. Second Chronicles 36, if you've got your Bibles, as they're looking back, reflecting on what all that's going on. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. 
because God had pity on his people and on his dwelling place, the temple. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought them up against the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials, Zedekiah. They sent fire to God's temple, broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile uh, to, to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Jeremiah was right. We were wrong. And we look at the prophets and we look at the warnings of the prophets and we think to ourselves, what was wrong with those people? Why didn't they listen to the prophets? The warning signs were right there. They were speaking the truth. And I got to thinking, you know, we're a little bit like the Israelites. We don't like warnings. There's warning signs going on all over in our lives every single day. And I, so on Friday, I just thought, you know, I'm going to show you guys some warning signs. And, and some of them, we pay more attention to others. So I got my car, and I just went out and took a couple pictures. And, and here's one sign I ran across. No through trucks over five tons. Now, that's a warning sign, right? If you're a truck driver, pay attention. Warning, don't come here. I drive a Prius. I'm not really worried about going down that road. So I kind of ignore that warning sign. Next one. Then I drove by and saw this sign, and most of us think 11 uh, feet 9 inches, right? Again, I drive a Prius. I'm not really worried about going under this railroad track, but if you're driving any kind of vehicle over 11 feet 9 inches, warning, don't do it, bad idea. And we look at this sign, and most of us don't go, that's not really a warning sign. It is absolutely a warning sign. Most of us just ignore it. Next one. Then this, here's another warning sign, stop ahead. And I don't see this stop ahead sign and think to myself, uh-oh. I see the sign go, oh, that's good to know. I need to stop ahead. It's a helpful warning sign. Next one, speed hump. This is on my road, speed hump. I, and our house is uh, right in front of this sign, and there's a speed hump right in front of our house. It's really fun to watch people who don't pay attention to this warning sign, right? Right? So you want to pay attention. Warning, speed hump, slow down. Twenty. Nobody goes 20 miles an hour over the speed hump except for us. Okay, next one. Next one, road close, right? We see this warning sign. We're just like, oh, good to know. All right, I'm not going down that road. Next warning sign. Le uh, left turn yield on flashing. Left turn on flashing yield. I don't know how that's supposed to be. We all know what it means, right? Those of us who drive. It's a warning. When you're, when, if you're going to make a left turn, you got to yield. You got to wait for that car coming at you. It's a warning. But we think, oh, that's a pretty benign warning sign. It is, but it's helpful, right? Okay, next. This one is good. People up ahead. Warning. 
Constitution Trail's coming up. Don't hit the people, the runners. Next warning sign. Do not enter. It's a good warning sign, right? Driving down the road. I know none of you have never done this before, but all of a sudden you're like, what? I'm going the wrong way. It's just like, if you, you, all of a sudden your heart is like, choo, 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 right? If you're driving on that and you see that sign, okay, next. Warning, deaf child area. It's really good to know. Warning, be careful as you go through this area. Next. This is a really good one, right? You see this warning sign, you're like, I better pay attention. Or things could go really, really badly for me. And then the next one. I just had to take a picture of that because I have no idea what that means. Because some warning signs, let's just be honest, I think people make these signs just to mess with us. And I could stare at this sign all day long, and I know it's a warning sign, and I know I shouldn't park there at certain times on certain days, except Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, between 2 and 3, and all this stuff. It's just like, oh. These are warning signs. Some of them are more helpful than others. But here's what I want you to hear today. Warnings are good. Warnings are good. We are, you could even write that in your margin. I see Jan's writing in her Bible. Right, right there in 2 Chronicles, warnings are good. This is a good thing. Oftentimes we think to ourselves, oh, I don't like warnings. I don't think anybody's driving around town thinking to themselves, oh, I can't believe they put up a train sign. I can't stand that. They're just trying to ruin our fun. I should be able to just blow right on through that uh, train track anytime I feel like it. I can't believe they put up a, a, a do not enter sign. I want to go that way. They're just trying to ruin my fun. I can't believe it. What's wrong with those people who make the signs? No. They put up the signs for us, these warnings to help us, to guide us so that we can live ordered lives, so that our lives are good, so we don't get hurt. They're meant to protect us. Warnings are good. But how often do we read in the Old Testament, we think about the prophets and their warnings, and like, man, what's up with them? They're crabby. They're grouchy. They got all angry and irritated. Man, doom and gloom. What's wrong with them? They're trying to protect the people. They're trying to help the people. They weren't trying to ruin their fun. They gave them these warnings because God told them to. We give warnings to people that we love. If we don't love them, if we don't care about them, we just let them do what they want to do. I mean, if you're a parent, you get this. This is why we tell our kids, hey, don't do that. Don't play with knives in the street, right? Bad idea. It's not because we're trying to ruin their fun. It's because we love them. This is what the prophets were doing. They were not angry. They were not mean. They were not preaching doom and gloom. They were speaking the truth. They were trying to protect the people. And this is what's going on. So rule number one or lesson number one. Warnings are good. Uh, number two, warnings often communicate consequences. There's consequences if you don't follow the warnings, right? So I took a couple more pictures. So this one, private property, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted. When I see a sign like that, I'm just like, really? Come on. I, th I just think you're trying to scare me. But nonetheless, they're saying there will be consequences. Next sign. 
See, this one, when I um, uh, disobey this one, I know exactly what's going to happen. My car's going to get a little ride somewhere, right? Anybody ever had their car get a little ride somewhere because they did not heed the warning? Next. This is really good because it tells you it's just straight up 50 bucks. Leave your car out here, it's going to cost you 50 bucks. I like clarity. I don't know about you guys. Next one. $250. Anybody want to admit to spending $250 for violating this? None of you? Okay, next. This is one I really like. School up ahead. Warning. Speed limit 20 on days children are present. Fines higher. Anybody? What does this cost? Anybody know? Oh, come on. Somebody knows. $180. That's what I'm talking about. I knew somebody would know. Yeah. I mean, I know people that have gotten this, you know, this ticket, right? It's, it's the ticket of shame, right? It's just like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see the sign, right? Or the other one is the school bus. Anybody ever passed a school bus? Oh, don't do that. Warning. Because there's consequences when we don't follow the rules, the guidelines, the warnings. And of course, there are consequences to God's people, the Israelites. It's bad. Over and over and over. I mean, when, when you start getting deeper into the Old Testament and reading more about the prophets, it's just like a, a bad episode of, anybody seen the movie uh, Groundhog Day? Uh, came out in 1993, you know, old movie. Same thing happens every single day, right? Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. It's the story of the prophets. They just keep disobeying God. And then they're miserable. And they're like, God, we messed up. We should have listened to the prophets. Forgive us. And God says, I forgive you. I welcome you back into the covenant relationship. And pretty soon the Israelites are like, ah, I don't know. We don't really follow the rules, the warnings. And this just goes on over and over. And, and at some point in time, you're just like, hello, what's going on with the Israelites? Why don't they listen to the prophets? It's, it's very clear what's going to happen. What's wrong with those people? This is what's going on over and over and over throughout uh, the Old Testament. And here's the thing that I also want you to hear today. Every single time that the Israelites messed up, called out to God and said, forgive us, God always forgave them. How many of us oftentimes grew up maybe thinking, New Testament, God is a God of love. Old Testament, God is a God of wrath and vengeance and, and hate and spite and smiting and all that. What you got to know about the prophets is that God is a God of love and God always forgave God's people when they called out to God and said, God, forgive us. God was the same in the Old Testament as God is in the New Testament. He is a God of love, but he's also a God of consequences because he is a God of justice. And this is what's going on over and over and over. Well, I want to fast forward a little bit uh, to the New Testament. So, so think ahead several hundred years after the prophet's. There's this young rabbi on the scene, brand new. He preaches a sermon. First sermon, stands in the pulpit, getting ready to preach. You know what the first word out of this rabbi's mouth was? Repent. The very first sermon Jesus preached, 
was a warning. Repent. Repent means turn around. It means come back. Repent means stop what you're doing, stop living the way that you're living, and come back to me. It's the very same message that the prophets spoke to God's people. Repent. Stop living your own way, what you think is right, and come back and live my way, God's way, the covenant way to reestablish the relationship. Jesus was not afraid to preach sermons about warning. And I want to challenge you to read the four Gospels through the lens of Jesus as a prophet, as someone who spoke warning over and over and over. It's what put him on the cross, folks. I mean, he walked into the temple one day, many years later, and he starts trash-talking the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you snakes, you bunch of snakes. You think you're righteous, but you're not. And they're like, yeah, you're done. And they hung him on a cross. Nobody wants to hear that. Jesus was not afraid to preach doom and gloom. Why? Because Jesus knew the consequences of disobeying God. Death and destruction. And this is why the prophets are so important. This is why Jesus preached the message of warning, because the consequences are serious. They will last for an eternity. And so Jesus looked at the people and said, repent, turn around, follow me. Reestablish a relationship with God. Sometime later, Jesus was with his buddies He said, guys, let's go for a walk. So they went up a mountain. And as they were going up, having this conversation, and pretty soon, things all of a sudden changed. It's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 17. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So there's Moses. And Moses represents the law. The law that God gave to Moses and the Israelites long, long ago. And there he is. The law of the covenant relationship. That, that, that relationship between God and God's people is based on love. And there's Moses right in the middle. And then make no mistake about it, it's not just Moses, but it's also Elijah. And Elijah, in that moment, on the Mount of Transfiguration, represents all the prophets. He's that guy who just shows up. And God says, careful, careful, careful how you live your lives. I've given you instructions, there's Moses, for how to live your life. And if you don't want to live that way, warning, there's consequences. So in that moment, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is proclaiming, I've got a loving relationship with you. And if you don't follow, there will be consequences. It's a remarkable story. Jesus and the disciples up on the mountain 
you know, these stories of um, warning are, are throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Over and over and over, we see God warning the people, chasing people down, saying, don't do that, don't touch that. If you do, there's going to be problems. There's, there's that, that tree of life. You can eat anything, enjoy anything. Just don't eat that apple, that pear, that mango, whatever that fruit was from the tree of life. Anything else, warning and so what do Adam and Eve do? They disobey. And we see this, this theme, this identity of who God is. He's a God of warning. Not because he's mad, not because he's angry, not because he wants to smite us, but because he loves us and he wants the very best for us. This is why in John 10, Jesus says, you know, I've come that you may have life. I don't want you to have bad stuff. I don't want terrible things to happen in your life. I want you to have an abundant life, a good life. But you need to follow me. And when you don't follow me, bad things are going to happen. There's going to be consequences. I love that we sang, uh, the, the song that we sang uh, this morning, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. I don't know about you guys if that resonated with anyone else, but yeah, that's me. I am prone to wander prone to distraction, prone to leave the God I love. It's part of our human condition, isn't it? Just prone to wander off, prone to wander and do other things. And when we do that, God's message comes to us with warnings. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to his protege, Timothy, and he writes this as a warning. Timothy! Guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid the profane chatter and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have missed the mark as regards to the faith. Paul is saying, ah, warning, be careful, be careful. I want to close with one final image here, one final warning sign is a fire truck, of course, and it's got a very peculiar warning sign on it. Stay back 343 feet. Kind of weird, huh? I saw that sign and I thought, that is very odd. First of all, you got to get about 20 feet to see it, so how do you even do that, right? But the second thing, why not stay back 300 feet or 400 feet or 500 feet? Uh, this is the most peculiar sign, 343 feet. That's a warning sign. But when I researched it, I learned that 343 is very specific and it has a purpose. Because on 9-11, 343 firefighters lost their lives on that day. It's a way to remind the firefighters and all of us Warning, be careful. And these guys were willing to sacrifice. I think it's one of the most important things we need to know about our God. He's not just a God of, of, of warning, but he's got purpose and meaning behind his warning. And one of the major purposes of God's character and who he is is that he is a God of sacrifice. 
It says 371 years, temple worship, sacrifices, we're done. So I got a better idea. I got a better sacrifice. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world to do what only God could do is to atone for our sin, to take the sin, to take the consequence that you and I deserve. We all deserve to hang on the cross. And God says, nope, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send my son to the cross, and you're going to live. And so the warning that God gives to us is, here's my son. Receive him as a free gift. I forgave the Israelites in the Old Testament every time they cried out to me. Every single time they cried out to me. And I'll forgive you when you cry out to me. That's who I am. I'm a God who forgives every single time. And it's going to cost my son everything. And so you need to just call out to me and say, God, forgive me today. And I will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, O Lord, uh, that you are indeed a God of warning. A God who comes to us and tells us exactly what's going to happen if we disobey you. There's just no ambiguity about it, God. Thank you for the clarity. You come to us, you establish this covenant-loving relationship with us. And then you say, follow me. Let's be in relationship together. Let's do life together. But before we do that life together, you got to take care of that sin in your life. And God, you've made it so easy for us. We just need to confess our sin to cry out to you and say, God, I am tired of living my life. I'm done. I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And God, you promise that when we pray that prayer or some variation of it, you open your arms, you look at us, and you say, you're forgiven. You did it in the past, God, and you're doing it today. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.